Hello and welcome to the Let's Hear It podcast. I'm Daniel Chutkai, host and producer. Our last episode was Sarah Tories. If you don't want us, tell us to go back. On the making of a California prison town, read to us by Charles Gray. What do you think of these stories? Join the conversation on Twitter and Facebook at Let's Hear It Audio. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Today's story is about finding home. Navigating the maze of mental illness and a system of a different kind, mental health. Nikki Thomas will weave us through the writings of an anonymous writer whose essay "To London with Love" was written exclusively for this series. What follows is the personal account of a writer who, on the condition of anonymity, wrote this personal essay about her struggles with mental health and how finding home led to finding peace. As you will hear. She spent many years struggling with her mental health, from a young age. Over the course of her teens, adolescence, early adulthood, and beyond, she fought those demons through therapy and self-care, surviving multiple suicide attempts, and all the while moving forward, forging her path. This is a story of finding one's place in the world, whilst your mind is constantly battling against you. This is also a story of how we can be abandoned. Our writer was on multiple occasions forced into mental health institutions, where, alongside therapy, she and other patients were sexually assaulted by the staff. At a young age, a psychiatrist prescribed a high dose of a powerful antidepressant that subsequently caused irreparable liver damage. Not to be read as a condemnation of the mental health system, for there are more individuals in the mental and healthcare systems trying to help than those taking advantage. And of course, no entity, private or public, is faultless. This is instead a cautionary tale of how we allow people to be swept into one of many controlling systems that remove troublesome individuals from the pristine view of society. And at its core, this is the story of finding home. Throughout this series, we've heard stories of how the other is viewed by a homogenous oversight system. That insists it knows better than the individuals wrapped up in its care. Fortunately, for our stories, there are some glimmers of hope. Roberta Hill was able to mend her experiences through therapy and reconnecting with her roots. Abdul Khan was eventually released from the immigration system, and shortly you will hear our anonymous writer's journey. Whilst we may never escape our demons, inside or out, there is hope in this world. For us to forge our own paths, and use our experiences to shape our futures, and fundamentally the future of our collective societies. Our narrator today is Nikki Thomas, Australian actor and voice artist, based in New York City. Nikki brings our writer's story to life with the right amount of grit, humanity, and heart. With thanks to our author, Nikki Thomas, the Let's Hear It team. And of course, to you, our listeners. Please note that this essay discusses self-harm, suicide, and sexual assault. If you are struggling with mental health, please contact Lifeline or local or national mental health services in your area. Hi, this is Nikki Thomas, taking you into the mind of an anonymous writer and her journey to finding home and happiness. To London with love. 
For as long as I can remember, I never felt at peace. For more than 30 years, I have battled and suffered some form of mental illness. The exact diagnosis, a vague blur, mixed with the litany of drugs I've been prescribed or had forced into me. Over the years, I tried many things to heal myself, to save myself from myself, but somehow it always came back to me. Eventually, I chose to accept it as a part of my life, to try to live as best as I can, knowing that at any time the thoughts may creep back in, the whispers turn to shouts again, and the craving for pain to make me feel all come rushing back. The number of years I cannot bear to count anymore. My life now just a litany of days that blend seamlessly from one to the next, each day where I do not contemplate suicide or the cut of a blade, another day of victory, albeit another day lost to some ripples of fear. I dare not tell you how many times, or how, I tried to kill myself. Always, sometimes I think luckily, sometimes with anger, saved by someone or something. Am I better now? In one respect, yes, I have found a place that makes me happy and where the demons in my mind aren't waiting around every corner. I'm also worse. I suffer bouts of pain when my liver decides to rebel. Rebel because of the over-prescription of a powerful antidepressant given to me when I was still a teen, a dose that most adults wouldn't get by an incompetent psychiatrist who knew what was best for me. And so now, I suffer. And perhaps one day that will be my undoing the very treatment that was supposed to keep me alive. Perhaps on paper, their records, it worked. No one will bother to draw the line between two events, should. Let us hope it won't, my own body betray me. I am also haunted, frequently by memories of abuse at the hands of hospital staff in a state-run institution, who took their role as carers, and mistook their wards for sex toys. Haunted by my own memories, and those of the people I shared those walls with, we, collectively, locked in by the system that determined it knew what was better for us, better than our own care team, our own families, our own bodies. No, you betrayed yourself, so now we own you. That's how it felt. No, how it was. When they decide to put you on forms and ship you against all your own desires, against your family's wishes, to some abhorrent state-run institution, medicating you and subjecting you to their care. I found moments of joy in those years. Time with my dogs, my friends, sitting on the beach, enjoying the sound of the waves, the sunshine warming my freshly scarred skin until I pulled my long-sleeved t-shirt down to hide them from a passing jogger or curious dog. A wan smile washes over my face to hide the pain, the fear, to keep them at a distance, from worrying, from suspecting anything that may send me back to one of those places. It's impossible to make a cohesive narrative of all these events, or even elucidate you with more, because to remember is as painful as the events themselves. The occasional piece of news will trickle into my mind, the mind trying to forget about the events of those times. 
Do I seek vengeance? Restitution. The ongoing struggle with mental illness, memories of a past that would later demonize me in the name of help. No, I wanted nothing more than to escape it all. I had my friends. We named ourselves, individually and collectively, after a group of ragtag individuals who go on a long journey together, separated, before coming together and celebrating and commiserating the end of our long journey. I was the rascal of the group, a title and name well earned. I know, that all sounds depressing and dramatic, and whilst it hurts to write, the journey does not rush like a raging river of depressing events. This is a tale of hope. It is my journey. A journey that takes me through my darkest moments and brings me to a happiness that I never thought I would find, never thought I deserved. Throughout this journey, there is a constant. I loved theatre, reading, movies, and adventure. It's no surprise that I love magic and fantasy where anything is possible. My inner love crept out of these outer loves, my love of acting and performing. There are many reasons to move, an opportunity to escape, love, adventure. The list is exhausting. When I first moved to Sydney, I was escaping and in search of opportunity, escaping the horrors of home, seeking something better for myself, and to pursue my love and passion for acting. I wanted to learn, grow, and make my passion my life. As soon as I could, I up and left, school finished and behind me. I looked into acting programs in Sydney and found a few that interested me. So I hopped the flying kangaroo and took myself to my first, second home in search of something different. It would not be my place, and I would be here and back again, Facing the very demons, I thought I had escaped. Like all escapes, it starts off good. It's new, it's exciting and distracting. But the things we ignore always come creeping back. In time, my emotions numb, the joys shrink, and the dullness in me intensifies as the world turns grey. The razor is never far to make me feel something, anything. The rope never far away to stop it all. I was determined to press on, despite everything within me screaming for me to stop. I pressed forward, started acting school, and surrounded myself with beautiful, warm, open people. I delved into the triumphs, torments, successes, and failures of the characters of so many well-written stories and journeys, from the Greek masters to the poets of Elizabethan England through the Russians, Americans, Italians, French, and of course, the Australians. Each journey, each character, each study bringing me a little closer to who and what I wanted to be. One program inevitably leads to the next, and my study shifted to full-time. Like all things, change, however little, can have a ripple effect that sends us back to the very edge of ourselves. And that, for me brought me closer to my own self-destruction, and try as I might to hold on to the good and ground myself again, I found myself drifting into dark places again. I made a year of that study, unfulfilled, lost and dispirited. I spent the next few months adrift 
as I wondered what was next. Contemplating choices that said out loud would land me in places I didn't want to be. Thoughts that I tried to escape by coming here. Vocation, purpose, drive. The things that kept my feet from leaving the ground entirely, my love of acting and the pursuit of that passion really kept me from floating away completely. I do not forget my friends and family. Between them, the tangible outside forces of love and compassion and my own inner drive to succeed, I managed to hold the darkness at bay. By chance, an opportunity presented itself. Opportunities must never be ignored. Once again, I found myself on the flying kangaroo, hopping this time not over the sandy red centre of Australia, but over the azure blue and magnificent white berth of the Pacific Ocean. Though most of the flight is above the clouds and at night, the majesty of the ocean was never far from my thoughts. After a short stop, intense questioning, and a stamped passport, I found myself among the skyscrapers and theatre mecca of New York City. In that familiar and blissful ignorance only the unknown can provide. I would be here for four months, and I was going to make the most of it. I checked into my temporary sublet before rushing out, jet-lagged and tired AF to explore the city. I quickly found my groove, even taking a moment to see my favourite Broadway show for what could only be the hundredth time. It's probably closer to a thousand now, but who's counting? Time passed. School started. I left my sublet and found myself a studio. The darkness held at bay, my thoughts in check. It would be another that would drive me from this place. Perhaps my whole life was pushing me to where I am now. If I had a choice, I may have asked it to ease up a little bit, give me a break. No one can tell you when you found your groove, you just know it, through and through, balls to bones. That's what it was like for me when I started school in New York. I found the groove in my new life. I found myself, and I remembered what I loved about acting. In the blink of an eye, the four months were over. The prospect of going back to Australia terrified me. So when they asked me to stay for the full-time program, even offering me a scholarship, I was beyond elated. For the next few years, I immersed myself in acting, the city, making friends, and imagining my future here. It's at this point in the story that along comes a spider. After I accepted the scholarship to stay, a friend I met in the summer program, let's call him Adam, and I were talking apartments. His lease was up and I needed something cheaper if I was going to stay. We had one of those easy, fast friendships, just great friends. I thought we'd make great housemates too. We moved into a superb two-bedroom apartment. For a while, everything was great. We went to school together, caught up with friends together, saw shows together, everything that friends do. It was great. For a while, it was everything I wanted and needed. I allowed myself to be happy. I didn't feel the need to hurt myself. I didn't withdraw myself. My body and my mind weren't betraying me. For the first time in a long time, I allowed myself to think and feel that I had found what I was looking for, found my happy place. In a way, I did. It was Adam who betrayed me this time. Let's be clear, our friendship was strictly platonic. 
I was not attracted to him, nothing physical ever happened, and I didn't secretly harbor feelings for him. It later became apparent that he did. He quickly turned from friend, trusted confidant, and co-conspirator in life to the monster waiting behind the door. I lived with Adam and went to school with him, so we spent a lot of time together. In any healthy relationship, time apart is essential, and I had other friends who I would see. That's when it started. I would be out and my phone would ping. It's Adam, asking where I am. Innocently, I respond. Who with? Adam prompts again. Without concern, I would respond. Another ping, and whoever I was with at the time would look at their phone and ask, why is Adam asking if we're actually together? The thing about acting schools is everyone is friends. 20 or so acting students sharing the intimacy and tragedy of their lives. Everyone has each other's number. When I was out with mutual friends, I would get these messages from Adam and the others would too. If I didn't respond, the message would circulate. Are you with her? My anxiety, already peaked, would skyrocket every time a phone pinged, my world pausing while someone looked at a phone, me studying their face in anticipation, hoping they wouldn't then look at me, that resigned pity in their eyes. Worse, when I came home, Adam was waiting like a dutiful dog in our hallway, armed with a mouthful of accusatory questions that quickly turned into an interrogation of my social life. It was a difficult situation. Moving with school ending in a couple of months was as tough a choice as staying with Adam's constant physical and emotional shadow. Even if I moved, I would see him near daily at school. And no doubt among the mix of mutual friends who would often congregate in one or the other theatre district dive bars. So like many demons that had followed me, I stuck it out with this one, too, hoping that he would detach. I imagined myself staying in the US, but away from New York City. LA, Atlanta, Houston were all options. Vancouver is friendly to Australians, and a short flight to one of the other US acting meccas. I didn't want to give up on the US. I had options. Everyone tainted with Adam's shadow. A friend from Australia visited, and we caught up in some semi-famous diner off one of the avenues. We ate waffles with fried chicken and maple syrup, and talked about our lives. Though we stayed connected, her energy was welcome, and we had lots to catch up on. We spoke for hours. It was here the seed of returning to Australia was again planted. As we talked, I was reminded of the beautiful weather, the beaches I missed, my favourite cafes, and mutual friends I missed dearly. I waited all against staying here, the difficulties in obtaining a visa, the fear of Adam following me, and the seed grew into a bud and soon blossomed into a tree. It was decided. I told Adam, said my farewells to friends made, and back on the flying kangaroo, hopping back over the Pacific. Flying over Sydney was exhilarating. The glistening harbour, the stoic bridge, the white shining sails of the opera house, spat out of the airport and left to my own devices. I made my way to my new apartment, the apartment I now shared with a friend of his with whom I hatched my return plan over waffles in that semi-famous diner. Sydney was great. Back to the beach, eating at old familiar places, catching up with friends for long overdue hugs, and waxing lyrical about time spent apart. This feeling lasted about nine days. Nine days apiece before that old, 
familiar darkness came rushing back, followed by two years of misery, pain, anxiety, depression, and an overwhelming desire to just be done, culminating in yet another involuntary hospital visit, and finally a choice that would change my life forever, and finally for the better. Two years back in Sydney, the dull monochrome of my feelings reaching an unbearable peak, a resolute calm washed over me. It was time for me to shuffle off this mortal coil. I looked around at nearby hotels, inspecting the rooms for the right fixtures, and checked in for a night. A staycation, I said. The door closes. For a blissful few moments, all is black. Are you okay? Miss? Hello? Hello? I'm in a hallway. How did I end up here? My vision is blurred, but slowly I see a figure. Hotel staff desperately dialing triple zero as I lay on the floor, gasping for breath. An accident I would later tell the policewoman who raises an eyebrow. Part sympathy, part... Are you serious? First hospital to check my physical body. Second hospital to check my mind. We've been here before. We know the ropes. That familiar feeling doesn't go away. The razor doesn't help, nor does another stint in hospital. I'm at a restaurant, eating a dull, overpriced steak, someone opposite chewing loudly. I look at the table, green beans with almonds in a bowl, my own steak sitting untouched, an ant crawling on the table, and a little candle in the middle. I hate it. I stand up, they keep eating. Don't notice. I grab the table and with all my strength, flip it over. The plates and glasses crashing to the floor. Music to my ears. I look up and they are still chewing. Nothing changed. If you don't like how the table is set, flip it over. I knew I wasn't happy here. My only option was to get out. Fast. A quick search took me to London. I'd not thought much of London before. The visa was easy to get. It's far, and it's a mecca for theatre. I hopped that flying kangaroo yet again. Twenty plus hours later, I'm spat out of yet another airport before floating to an Airbnb, spending the first night in the city that would later prompt this love letter in a haze of jet lag excitement, and anxiety. Day one, wake up, find coffee, and explore London. It's buzzing all around me, the energy of a new city, a living city. I hop a double-decker red bus, run up the stairs, and find the front seat empty, what will soon become my window to the world. I cross Tower Bridge, stopping in the middle to look down at the rushing Thames. I have been here for scant 24 hours, every cell in my body thrumming with excitement and hope. I knew at that moment this was it. I found my place. The table was set and I was eating. The days that follow spill into months and years sitting on a red bus window seat looking at my world. Last stop, hopping yet another bus to nowhere and another, exploring every possible corner of London. I walk sneaking paths along the Thames, past the looming Tate Museum and Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. I meander among the theatres of the West End, pop into a cafe for a coffee and people watch. This city, this magnificent old city, my city, my home. By now, you're probably thinking that this tale of hope and woe cannot be filled with any more woe. Well, let me tell you, 
about yet another gigantic spanner that found its way into my life. Brexit. The now infamous portmanteau for the UK versus EU referendum. Brexit affected me as it did many temporary migrants. The shake-up of visas. Suddenly, I had one month to pack up and leave. How could I leave? This wasn't the choice I wanted. It wasn't a choice I could accept. I found my place. What the fuck was I going to do now? Go back to Australia? I couldn't imagine what would happen if I found my way back there. Right then, I had no choice but to leave. I put my life into storage, a faint lingering hope I'd be back for them, and put them in a permanent home. I packed my little backpack with the essentials a summer in Europe would demand, a couple of t-shirts, shorts, some underwear, and toiletries. With a heavy heart, I left London to explore the continent, knowing with every passing day I would be back. I spent time on trains, phone in hand, researching every possible visa option, wondering why my mum didn't get her UK passport when she could, wishing I could change the past. As the halcyon days of that summer passed, and as the sunlight became shorter and shorter, hope faded. I steeled myself, resigned myself for a future back in Australia. I told myself it wouldn't be so bad. Deep down, I knew it was futile. And that old familiar would come back and sweep me away. Perhaps that is where my journey led. A short drop and a quick stop. I absolutely did not want to go back to Australia. I longed to stay in London. I resigned to stay as close as possible. The simplest working holiday visa in Europe at the time was Denmark. When I could no longer float across the continent and staying in London was too expensive, I hopped to Copenhagen. I spent a few months here, working idly, hoping that London would again come knocking. Time passed. Nothing eventuated. So I went back to Sydney. It's not been so bad. I haven't been back to London since the pandemic, but for now, I'm staple here. Sitting by the beach, writing this letter to you, London. Nah, I'm fucking with you. It was by chance I met him through a mutual friend, and we hit it off. I explained my situation, and we hatched a plan. A few months later, under the looming deadline of global shutdowns caused by the worsening pandemic, we got hitched. Baking under the southern European sun, we said I do. The months that follow are filled with formality. I go back to London with my now husband, then back to Australia to finalise the visa. Once again, I hop the flying kangaroo, making my way south, the lights of the world dimming as I pass, just making it home, luckily avoiding being locked in or out. Over the months of separation, though, our relationship sours. He leaves London and reconnects with an old flame. We stay married so I can go back to London. The next few months are filled with anxious waiting for closed government departments, snap country lockdowns, and rolling doom and gloom news as the pandemic rages globally. Documents gathered, documents signed, documents sent. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The doorbell buzzes. A courier. I tear open the envelope and furiously flip the pages of my passport, my heart racing in anticipation. They don't tell you whether you're approved or denied, just that you've been processed. Flip, 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 boom, visa. I cannot describe in words the elation, excitement, relief, 
an overwhelming joy that came over me. In my eyes, tears. In my hand, my ticket home. For the last time in this story, I hop the flying kangaroo. I take my flight north, now over dimmed countries below. For the last time, I am spat out of an airport, congratulated, until finally, welcome home. My husband and I are still in touch. We talk, it's civil, but perhaps in the whirlwind, we found love and then lost it. We gave each other a story and a few months of happiness. I came home to the only place I have ever felt home. I don't ask for pity for the abuse I have suffered, the occasional incompetence of medical professionals, for my friend who drove me out of New York, for my own mind betraying me and the actions I took, or for anything that has happened to me. I am home, where the heart is. I live to tell this story. With a broken branch after one suicide attempt, the maid in the hallway who helped me, the therapist who saw fresh cuts and sought to help me. I live. I have not outrun my past, nor my demons, but here they don't haunt me. They don't hunt me. I don't reach for the racer. I don't crave an end to it all. I want to live. To see my favourite West End show for the umpteenth time. To write and perform for five-person audiences. To audition over and over again to no avail to buy that overpriced but delicious coffee, to sit in a pub with friends and buy a beer I won't drink, to laugh hysterically in a hallway, to show friends the city I love, to welcome and farewell those friends, to live atop a double-decker red bus, watching my beloved city up close as we speed through the veins and arteries that are her streets. I'm home, and I love it. From London, with love. That was To London With Love, written by Anonymous and read by Nikki Thomas, with an introduction by Daniel Chutkai. I'm Chris Ogle, audio engineer and co-producer for this series. What did you think of To London With Love? Join the conversation on Twitter or Facebook at Let's Hear It Audio. Our next episodes take us on two journeys. First, Aunt Richards will give us Joe Zada's philosophical musings on time through the inception of clock time and its measurement. How dependent we have all become on the seconds, minutes, and hours of a ticking clock. Then we'll take a pilgrimage through Spain and Portugal, only to realize that not all pilgrimage is about finishing the journey. Rachel Young will take us on Obre Lescure's journey through Spain and Portugal and what it means to be a solo traveler. Thanks for listening to the Let's Hear It podcast.